0: This episode of the MJ cast is dedicated to the memory of Jess Garcia. Huge Michael Jackson fan, fierce advocate for the truth, and an unrelenting social justice warrior, Jess defended friends and strangers alike when she witnessed injustice. Jess tragically passed away on October 11th, 2021, at just 35 years old. Her impact on the Michael Jackson community and the lives of those she touched will be felt forever. Rest in power, Jess Garcia.
1: The following is a presentation from the MJ Cast, the internet's premier podcast on all things Michael Jackson. I'm a black American. I am proud of who I am.
2: Together, we can make a change in the world. I want to see you!
1: (laughs) I like to take sounds and put them on the microscope. There's a driving bass, you become the bass. Let the music write itself.
2: I don't sing it if I don't mean it.
0: (laughs) Welcome to the MJ Cast, your source of news, discussion, and interviews on the King of Pop. Hello, and welcome to episode 137 of the MJ Cast. I'm your host, Jamin Bull, and I'm here with two incredible friends of the show. Uh, returning guests to the MJ Cast, uh, writer Ricky Alexander, and wonderful, amazing friend of the show, fellow Christina. Ricky and Christina, welcome to the show. We'll start with you, Ricky. How you doing?
2: I'm great. Um, adjusting to married life uh, over here in Germany somewhere. I really thought I'd never be, but you know, I'm doing pretty good. I'm just taking it one day at a time right now as I try to adjust to everything. And uh, but yeah, I'm good and pl- trying to plan some. Beautiful celebrations and tributes for Michael's 50th as well, very soon. Oh,
0: that's awesome. So, um, well, congratulations again. I think I'm pretty sure I've congratulated you already on the show, mm-hmm. uh, but congratulations to, to you and Sabi again on your marriage. Now, I mean, you're, you're living in Germany. I think last time we talked, we were discussing the language and like ha- how you're doing with the language. Are you, I, is your German improving?
2: It's getting better. I'm starting to catch words in sentences and starting to be able to, you know, make an educated guess as to what's being talked about and um, that part. But I can't hold a full conversation in German still, but I'm getting there. Um, It actually turns out into order to legally stay, I have to take an integration course. Right. And that'll help me get an intensive grip on the language. But, you know, unfortunately, currently, they're always very full because there's a lot of refugees coming into Germany and things like that. And they're very expensive. But. I'll get there soon and hopefully.
0: I got to ask now Michael Jackson spent a lot of time in Germany over the years and famously in the Living with Michael Jackson uh Martin Bashir thing there's a lot of footage of him there in Germany at the Berlin Zoo and and uh-huh. you know the the infamous balcony where he ha- showed uh, uh blanket to the world um, did you have you been with Sabi to any of these uh, locations?
2: Oh man, unfortunately not yet. We haven't been able to do a whole lot of traveling just yet, trying to get settled in. it's uh, It, it hit us a lot, trying to get everything going. But we are yeah. definitely planning to. I, I've already made it a bucket list of mine to go to all the stadiums and everything like that. There's apparently a, actually a Michael Jackson tribute tree, I think, in Munich, which is like about three hours away from us. Great. We definitely want to go to that.
0: I am going to be keeping an eye on your social media to see these photos because that sounds fun. Absolutely. Uh, Christina, welcome back to the MJ cast. How have you been?
1: I'm Doing really well. Thank you for having me back again. It uh, feels like it was just yesterday that we did the last episode. Um, so I'm super excited to get to know Ricky better. And congratulations to you and Sabi and kudos to you for moving overseas and all that that entails. And you're in a great spot as a Michael Jackson fan because the, the German fans are epic. So I'm looking forward to seeing your adventures and, and checking out all the MJ spots over there.
2: Coming very soon, and thank you so much.
1: Yeah, definitely.
2: Let me actually thank you as well, Jamin, for having me back.
0: No, no, that's okay. Uh, It's our pleasure, Ricky. I mean, you guys uh, are always amazing guests and we get so much uh, amazing feedback about both of you uh, when you come on the show and and I really enjoy our conversations. And today we're going to dig into quite a bit of Michael Jackson news that's come up in the last few weeks. None of it like earth shatteringly like new product, you know, stuff going on, but uh, definitely some um, interesting things to to talk about. So we might, we might actually kick things off with the, the first news topic, which uh, I'm particularly excited about because, I mean, I, I just love, you know, film of Michael Jackson. That's, you know, his music's amazing, love his music, of course, but I also love watching visually his, um, you know, concerts or, or any of his uh, short films or anything like that. And we've got some pretty exciting news coming out of France now we know that the estate. Uh, how do I put this? Let's just say <laughs> <laughs> they don't. <laughs> they don't put their best foot forward when it comes to remastering oh, Michael oh, Jackson's yeah. precious, amazing film footage for all of his fans. Demon, we are still.
1: You don't say. <laughs> <laughs> we're,
0: we're still. Uh, we still have the pleasure of enjoying Michael Jackson's short films in DVD quality on YouTube, <laughs> which is um, yeah interesting. But anyway, so a fan. Uh, by the name, like, I don't know his actual name, but his YouTube channel is called Pitu World. And he is uh, taking matters into his own hands. This guy collects film reels, original film reels of Michael Jackson's material. He has got a number of them, he's got the history teaser. He's got, I believe, David Lynch's teaser for the Dangerous album. He's got Pepsi commercials. He's got Captain EO's 70mm version. And right now this guy is in the process of remastering. So rescanning and remastering, restoring a 4K version of this history album teaser video, which was shown in cinemas before uh, the history album came out. And, uh, boy, I cannot wait for this to come out. He's documenting all of this on YouTube. I can't understand any of it because it's in French. I've tried to click the button that makes it English subtitles, but it's not working for me. But <laughs> from what I can see, it looks awesome. Guys, what do you think?
1: Yeah, it's. I have to say, once again, the fans are creating the content we've consistently been asking for from the estate. It, the European fans are amazing, truly. It, and I understand why Michael spent so much of his touring career, you know, outside of the U S they're just, they're so passionate and so committed. And I didn't understand anything in the video either, because I unfortunately do not speak French, but just looking at his collection behind him Mm. was incredible. Um, And just the, the process um, was fascinating to watch how he's, you know, taking this film sometimes hand retouching certain stills from the, you know, I know very little about the whole, The whole process but it was just it was fascinating to watch and again you know i don't understand how the estate with all of their connections and capital can't be doing this work
2: yes i have to absolutely agree with that it's always bittersweet to see these projects coming along because it's like without the fans it seems like michael's legacy would be at a standstill a lot of the Mm -hmm. time you know uh, and not just when it comes to obviously consuming his work, you know, with streaming his music and watching his videos and, of course, spreading how successful he was. But, you know, with just keeping new content at least fresh in up-to-date standards at the very least or trying to put out new products for people to see. It's it's just so bittersweet to see that it's, it all falls to the fans, but it also speaks to just how passionate and how much Michael impacted so many people and how passionate they are about his work. So it was it was actually I had to look at that silver lining, honestly, because I'm well, I'm so caught up and dogging on the estate sometimes. And I'm like, well, at least we are getting something. At least somebody is picking up the mantle. But of course, we'll always you know, continue to wish the estate does better and hope that they do soon. I feel like we all knew they weren't going to do much for MJ50, but I still had some modicum of hope for them. But, you know, it always falls to us, it seems.
1: Yeah, and what they showed us in Vegas—the you know the unseen footage—it was like what, fifteen minutes or so—was amazing, absolutely amazing. Um, so you know, I, I know that that content is there. I just I don't know what their plans are. So going. wait, I'm
2: sorry, you were at the the birthday party? I was. Whoa! So. I was trying to find any type of information about it. What show did they uh, use?
1: Karen Langford introduced the video by saying, we were about to show you something that's never been unseen. If you get caught filming, you will be asked to leave the premises. Been really impressed that nothing has been leaked from what I can tell. Um, It was from a history concert. Um, There's conflicting stories about whether it was Germany or Prague, um, kind of based on... Flags in the background, and um, you know certain things that happened on stage, trying to determine what show it was from. But the the quality was there, you know. And hearing his his music and seeing him on this enormous screen is the closest a lot of us will ever get to a live experience. Um, so I'll admit I was emotional and and crying throughout the and pretty much the entire thing, and, and didn't pay a whole lot of attention. Um, <laughs> and no one no one knew that this was coming. Like it just. Karen just walked up to the stage and said, we're going to show this to you. And I, I think it caught so many of us off guard that we weren't paying close attention or taking notes or, you know, anything. So John Branca kind of alluded to that this was part of the larger project they had in place for history, but because of the pandemic, this is kind of just the, the and I, I'm trying to, you know, Ricky, I agree with you that, you know, we can bash the estate till the day is done but you know they have done some things really really well but i don't really understand what the pandemic how that impacted what they had prepared for the history anniversary from what they showed us it it like released that I, the fans would go nuts just to see that so
2: put it on youtube i'm all over it i mean anything
1: just get it out to the to the fans get it get it out there so i don't know if there's i don't know what they're thinking is if there's a, a larger plan in the future to monetize that somehow, but it's like these anniversaries come and go and you're kind of missing the the moment.
0: I think the plan from what I have heard was that they, they were going to include some of that footage in a documentary rather than um, release the history concert by itself, mm-hmm. which personally I think is the best move. Like every single Michael Jackson tour, I I say definitely come out, you know, fully fledged in cinemas, whatever. But the only tour I have a little bit of reservation about is the history tour because of the amount of lip syncing in it.
2: I am -hmm. am absolutely against it. I I think it is a terrible idea. For them to release it like commercially, like in a big box set or something like that, I don't think that's a good idea at all.
0: But in saying that, I think using snippets of it in a documentary is a good idea. Or like you guys just put this idea in my head just then. Like would it be that bad if they – just put it out on YouTube with not much fanfare. And it's like, here it is. If you want to see it, you can see it. It's monetized. We're going to get revenue from it, whatever. Enjoy it. We're not going to do a lot of promotion about it, but it's there in 4K if you want to watch it. Maybe that could be a good option.
2: 100%. I think that's the best option. If you want to do a history tour, you know, release, you should just put it on YouTube just like they did Wembley and Bucharest. You know, I don't, because, I mean, if let's say they come out with some type of History 25 box set, I mean, that's going to get some attention. And I mean, not to mention that a lot of the media presence is generally a little resistant towards Michael. I mean, that's just something else they can have a field day with, in my opinion, not to mm. mention all the fan wars I'll have to deal with on Twitter, but that's neither here nor there. I mean, when, when you look at it, we have the bad tour and that's the, the best release we have for Michael, you know, prominently available. I mean, there's some footage of destiny, triumph and victory, but I mean, nothing brought up to date. These are old VHS tapes, you know? I mean, I feel like those should be the priority. We should put, we should put those things out there. I mm-hmm. mean, have that out there. Let them know that this was Michael. This is Michael at his best, his peak. And I mean, if after that, I mean, maybe something for history comes along. I mean, I feel like it wouldn't be as bad, but I mean, in this, in this environment and in this climate, I just, don't, I just don't see it as a good move. I just don't see it as something that reminds people of the Michael Jackson we all know and love. You know what I mean? Like, I, I just don't feel like that's the right move. I mean, for us, for the hardcore fans, I feel like it would be fine. But for a general, you know, public release, I don't, I don't believe so. Yeah. Especially looking at how the Prince estate has consistently handled putting out the quality material. I mean, not just unreleased songs, but quality concerts. And I mean, of course, there's some hoopla about whether that's overpriced, but you know, it's there. Yeah. Yeah. The completest
0: in me is like, I mean, I get into these hectic debates all the time with my friends and (laughs) some people are in camp. No history tour needs to be under lock and key and never released because the press are just going to have a field day with if that ever comes out with just like completely wrecking him. But um, I'm kind of a bit more like a historical completist where it's like, no, it should be out, but just maybe it doesn't have to be put out in a way that's like, everybody look at this. So, um, yeah, maybe a YouTube thing. Anyway, so the, the teaser, I can't wait for this to come out. And I think that, Ricky, what you were saying about focusing on what the fan community is doing as opposed to the estate, I think that is like 101 how to stay sane as a fan in 2021 is you've got to be watching what prominent fans are doing. And this guy, whoever he is, P2, I don't know much about him, but he obviously is, is somebody now to keep an eye on because he's talking about even releasing some other – and he, he seems to be like properly restoring them as well, not just taking an existing low-quality video and putting it through some software. This guy is rescanning the original film negatives. So, I mean, this is going to be really cool. And I just, I just think about that history teaser and I'm like, I often wonder about what it would have been like to sit in a cinema – before that album came out and see that teaser before a feature film or whatever, like the excitement levels would have been through the roof.
2: (laughs) I agree. I mean, I'm always trying to put myself back in those, in those times way before my time anyway. And I'm always thinking like, wow, I would have been, I mean, after everything Michael had gone through the previous year, I feel like we would have been psyched. Anybody would have been happy to see Michael coming back and coming back so triumphantly, so defiantly.
0: Yeah. And that's the thing about history, isn't it? I mean, like, geez, they, they, they. Uh, he went through hell in in '93, and then to come back as strong and confident as he did with one of the best albums of his career, amazing. And I and I love that. I just love that teaser as well. It's just so beautifully shot. So I can't can't wait to uh, see it in even higher quality. All right. Next news topic. Uh, speaking of film stuff, we got a few. We've actually the first uh, four or so news items today are to do with new documentaries or film footage coming out. And the next one, I, I don't know my, I, I don't know about you guys, but my spidey sense is tingling over this one. I've, I've got alarm bells going off. A few days ago, we saw on MJ Vibe that Netflix is planning on releasing a new two-part documentary series. Not both on Michael Jackson. The first one is going to be on Freddie Mercury. The second one is going to be on Michael Jackson. But this allegedly is to is all to do with the psychology of these two individuals. And you've got this, uh, I've never heard of him, but this psychiatrist, Bob Johnson, who is going to be breaking down things like childhood trauma, relationships, uh, the the blurb of it is, is is Michael black or white, man or child, extrovert or introvert, gay or straight? Uh, I don't know, guys. Like, I mean, Michael has not got a big presence on Netflix at all. So whatever the first thing that was to be added to Netflix about Michael Jackson was always going to be a big deal because people obviously sit there and search on Netflix, Michael Jackson, nothing comes up. Well, now when they search Michael Jackson, this thing is going to come up. How are you feeling about it?
1: So apparently it's only being released in the UK, okay. which doesn't surprise me. Sure. Um, the other thing that I... So I I was really interested in the difference between the description of the Freddie Mercury episode versus the MJ episode. And if you go back and, and read the, the, the comments, the Freddie Mercury episode is explained as you know, discussing like his musical genius and his start from, you know, a, a young boy and his rise to stardom. And then again, when it comes to Michael Jackson, it's a commentary on his skin color, his sexual orientation, um, his allegations, the, the contrast between the two is, is striking. And, and there was a, a conversation on a couple of different forums pointing that out. The other thing I think is really interesting is that they're they're advertising this as a complete picture of the private men behind the public masks from a psychiatrist who has never met either of them. Mm. So all of this is pure speculation.
0: And they've apparently interviewed... Collaborators and friends. We don't know who these people are. I have not heard from any collaborators or friends of Michael Jackson that have participated in this. We don't know who these people are going to be. They could be just completely abstract people that barely knew Michael Jackson. They could be, you know, we all know the people out there that like try to hawk right. books and documentaries saying they had a really close relationship with Michael and they didn't really. It could be some of those people on the periphery trying to get in and say they knew Michael really well. Who knows? who knows
1: one of the other comments i saw that that i had to agree with and i think this is we're all in agreement about this is that we don't want more documentaries dissecting michael's like psychological mm. makeup and his challenges we we've had that 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 has been done and done and done no one's talking about his musical genius and mm-hmm. you know why not focus on things like what, what spike had done you know why why not focus on thriller and dangerous and someone had, had made a comment that, you know, why not do a series on Michael's business moves? Um, I'm quoting verbatim here. Why not do a series on Michael's business moves and how artists today could learn a lot from how he made those moves? And it reminded me not to bring up Prince in every single episode I'm ever on, but there's a <laughs> great documentary on Prince called Slave Trade. And it's like three or four hours long. And it is all about the business of the music industry and how he was such a game changer. And so much of that is Michael's history as well. Um, so I'd love to see more of a focus on, you know, the artists he worked with, the, the company that Michael was.
2: Ricky. I agree. And, um, I just, I just know that it's not going to be, a. Uh, A fair look at him. I mean, I mean, as she said, it's it's all going to be complete speculation by people who not only did not know him, but don't view him as a person who had feelings, who could hold a normal conversation. There's this, there's this character caricature of him Mm. that is constantly, you know, pushed as who Michael Jackson really was. And of course, we, the fans, can see through that. But for you know the general public, people who are always on the fence and things like that, I mean, it's going to be Uh, just more confirmation for them that Michael Jackson was, you know, a weirdo. And I, I don't even like saying, saying it like that, but um, I, I have noticed when Michael is brought up now that, you know, there's just a general, general resistance towards focusing on the music. There always has to be some dig at his personal, his personal events, his personal life and this caricature tabloid thing. But, you know, I think that's, I think that's why we're all, hoping that another another documentary by Spike Lee will come focusing on Thriller. I mean, especially seeing as seeing as though it's the anniversary. We we really want to remember the man and the artist versus all his all his trials and tribulations. We really want to just focus and celebrate him continuously. But I I'm I'm so not sure about this documentary. I'm hoping that <laughs> at least it's at least the tone is better, you know, more sympathetic. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I think that's something reasonable we could hope for. I mean, we, none of us have seen it yet. Um, it's possible that the people that are writing the description of it for Netflix are not representing the content of it. I mean- That's a good point. 90% of what comes out about Michael Jackson <laughs> is, mm-hmm. is um, you, you know, very difficult to stomach and you can't really trust it. So we can be gi- forgiven, I think, for preempting this. Hopefully- it is something a little more sympathetic. Michael is a very, very complex individual with a unique childhood. I mean, nobody on the planet really had a childhood like his, where he was under the microscope from such a young age. So that was bound to create a, a persona that's complicated and had its challenges. And so, if they could dig into that respectfully and reasonably, maybe it could. It could be good. Maybe I should be a little bit more hopeful. I don't know. I'm just really turned off by that description where they say black or white. I mean, there's no question Mm. about that. Michael was a proud black man who suffered from vitiligo. So I don't even know what that, how offensive is that for them to even say in the first sentence, was he black or white? There's, there's There's no question about that. Similarly, gay or straight, you know, I mean, phenomenal last episode by Q and beyond. I don't know if you you guys had a chance to to hear that, but, you know, I mean, Michael never once ever said insinuated anything about his own sexuality being anything other than straight. So for them to come on, you know, for this blurb to say, was he gay? Like, I mean, I don't get it.
1: Agree with both of you completely. I, I, I hope that it is more sympathetic and is more of a humanistic viewpoint than I think a lot of us are, like you said, spidey senses go up and, you know, the kind of pessimistic about uh, how fair and and kind they're going to be to him.
0: Yeah, yeah. But nevertheless, we'll uh, be sure to uh, check it out and report back here on how it is. Good to hear that it's localized to the UK. If it's, uh, (laughs) we'll have to
1: get Charles to um to do that episode.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Nothing like a good Charlie rant, so I'm down. Nothing better. (laughs) (laughs) All right, now let's swing over to a good documentary that's coming out, and this one I can't. (laughs) I got to say, this one's going to be really like if if any if it's as good as the trailer puts it forward to be, like the quality of the footage. The uh, angle it's coming from and talking about, you know, the allegations about Michael Jackson. This one is promising. This is Jin Chowan's Trial by Media. The second trailer for this one has been released. I, I'm excited. I don't know exactly when it's going to be coming out. There is a GoFundMe currently running for it, uh, there's a 20,000 pound uh, goal and just under ten thousand pounds has already been raised. The fan community is really getting behind this one in a great way. Uh, I think one of Jin's missions that he wants to do is to get over to Gary, uh, Indiana, to film some things there and get that into the documentary as well. So he wants this to be as good as possible. Uh, I, I am excited for this one. It's 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 going to center all around how Michael's been treated in the media regarding the the allegations, including leaving Neverland. And I hope this one does have a a wide reach uh, and can um, get the truth out there. What do you guys think?
1: I know very little about this one. Um, So I'll default to you and and Ricky. Um, I'm, I'm glad to see that there's, you know, more content being put out that will, I think, make the fans less concerned about how they're portraying Michael.
2: Yeah. I saw the trailer and I have to tell you, I was absolutely blown away. I was like, okay, he is really going for it. Uh, When I saw Mm -hmm. um, the the film he included in the trailer, I was like, okay, he's really going to break this down and how how race plays into this and how the media has all these biases. I was very taken back and I was very excited for it. Um, I think it's the documentary that we absolutely need because That is one of the biggest problems around Michael, obviously, um, how his media coverage is never fair. But I mean, the the key to the 2005 trial is the media coverage. I mean, obviously, any of us who have looked into it know that it's a joke. We know it should have never even gone to trial. It's, It's not even a question that this was a mess. But you still have people watching at home completely convinced that Michael had done this. You know, they heard what he was accused of and never how it was dismantled. I mean, I just feel I just I just feel like it's going to make a very deep hit, especially seeing how the beautiful YouTube documentary Loving Neverland was, has been very beautifully received. It just hit the milestone of a million views. I mean, there are people out there still trying to see, still trying to get both sides, still people on the fence, still believing that maybe Michael was innocent. And I feel like this is a great opportunity. This is a great or well, excuse me, a great Window for it to come out as well. I'm not sure how soon, but you know, in the in the coming months, I feel it will be a beautiful opportunity for Michael and his legacy. Especially, we're going to have the Broadway musical going. Um, hopefully, the estate is going to hit us with some surprises. But at least Broadway will have a lot of attention. So, if this can get some attention too, I mean, it's probably the perfect storm, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, I, I do agree with that. I just I, I do have one hesitation around um, Jin, Jin's approach to it and. He, he's really shooting for this thing to be as professional as possible. In all the marketing for it, it says it's a Netflix-ready film. Obviously, he wants this to be really big, and it's so professionally shot, it absolutely has a chance to be that big. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing is, when you've got some other kinds of documentaries, like, say, for example, things that are a little more, feel a little bit more fan-made, shall I say, you can sort of sneak that out onto YouTube, not you know, there's not, not that much spotlight on it. It spreads pretty well throughout the fan community, but you can sort of get away with using a lot of Michael Jackson footage and music and that kind of stuff in it because it's really just, you know, it's I don't want to use the word amateur, but it's you know, do you know what I mean? Like it's just it's created by fans. But when you've got something created by a professional documentarian um who's using professional film cameras and they're calling it Netflix ready and everything like that, like Jin is doing, but then you've still got all that original footage in there. I just worry he's going to he's going to come across some issues there. Mm-hmm. So I'm just I just I hope this all works out for Jin, but um yeah like in those trailers he's con- he's included quite a bit of original Michael Jackson footage. And uh yeah, I don't know. I just I just want it all to work out without him,
2: right. you know. Yes, we understand how the estate can work sometimes with, you know, licensing. Yeah. <laughs> so I definitely understand that concern, but, Yeah. you know, Barring any acts of the estate, I think it will be pretty good. Yeah, I think it will resonate pretty strongly because it seems like he's going to dig very deep, go back very far and bring it back to the present uh, as it pertains to race relations and uh, their perception in court and those types of things.
0: Yeah, that, that's the thing that excites me about it. I mean, just including that To Kill a Mockingbird stuff at the start of the trailer. I mean, I I, I hope he goes back into history and ties these allegations in with the history of false accusations against black men throughout you know, the 20th century, it, it, there's a really great opportunity for education here.
2: Absolutely. Because that, that a, I feel like that's a, that's a huge piece of context that people try to deny a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. So for him to really bring it and put it in their face, you know, I, feel like that'll, I feel like that's going to put them on the ropes a little bit more. But of course, we, we have to see. But that's me being hopeful, me trying to be optimistic. I think this one
0: we can be, we can definitely be hopeful about because like, uh, Jin, he's, he's a fan, you know, like if you go to his Twitter and everything, he, you know, and, and you can tell, you can feel it in the trailers that this guy respects, uh, Michael Jackson and, and the truth around his,
2: his story. Absolutely. Absolutely. I th- I thought it was very beautifully made like I, up until that point. I had been, you know, seeing it on Twitter and hearing about it, but you know, that's when it really caught me. I was like, okay, this is going to be serious.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Um. there is another, uh, a final documentary to talk about. And this one, oh, my goodness, like, <laughs> it is going to be good. <laughs> so, this is this is Marcos Cabota's documentary Sonic Fantasy. And he's been teasing it for a while now. But this guy, oh, my God. Okay, <laughs> I need to talk to this guy. I still, we've had him on the Leaving Neverland Roundtable. And he was a great contributor to that. I need to do a special episode just with Marcos because here's the deal. Not only does he have this film coming out, and he is a professional, amazing documentary film director who did the incredible Star Wars documentary, I Am Your Father. If you haven't seen that and you love Star Wars, you got to see it. Um, But he is like Talitha Linehan level fan. Like this guy, this guy, there is so many photos out there of him meeting Michael Jackson, right? He's in the front row of the Madison Square Garden 30th anniversary concert standing there right next to Rodney Jerkins watching these shows. Like, in his life, prior to being a successful documentarian, he obviously was a hardcore Michael Jackson fan of, like, the top level. (laughs) So I need to speak to this guy. You can, like we were saying about Jin, you can feel his love and appreciation for Michael Jackson's artistry seeping into this trailer. I don't know if you've seen the trailer for Sonic Fantasy, but it has got footage in there of Michael's closest studio collaborators, Brad Buxer, you know, you got Greg Filling Gaines, Steve Picaro, Michael Prince, Jerry Hay, everyone, they're all there talking about Bruce Swedean and his genius in being able to bring about Michael's uh, studio albums. So judging from the trailer, the documentary sort of dances between being like a Bruce Swedean documentary and a Michael Jackson creative genius documentary, and, and rightly so because those two things are so intertwined. But uh, I, I, I'm really happy about this because, I mean, with Bruce's tragic passing, he did write a couple of books But I still feel like the story of Bruce Wedean is yet to be fully told in, in, I don't know, in a way that's really accessible to the general public. And a lot of people, when they think of Michael's albums and Creative Genius, they think, oh, Michael and Quincy, right? Absolutely. And, of course, Quincy was an important piece of the puzzle. But, you know, they were really called the dream team for a reason. It was like the triple threat of Bruce, Michael. And Quincy together for those early adult solo albums, so I can't wait to hear Bruce's story be told and by his um peers, people that worked in the studio with him i uh, i'm I'm very excited i I can't wait
1: <laughs> I, I have nothing more to add to that. You took every word right out of my mouth. The teaser is absolutely gorgeous, mm. and the cast list is stellar i mean he's he's included everybody that I think any of us that know a lot about the music would love to hear from. My only regret is that Bruce isn't here to see it. Ah, right. oh, I know. Right. Because it's going to be gorgeous. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. I feel like it's going to be a very beautiful celebration of both. It's like a beautiful tribute to him and Michael at the same time. You know, I know when we first heard about this trailer, I think it was um, supposed to be all about Thriller. I think he kind of re-diverted his direction to focus on Bruce and Michael as well. Um, and, you know, just to add just a little bit to what you said, you know, Bruce Houdin is that missing piece of genius that people overlook when they look back and when they try to say, you know, Quincy Jones is so responsible for Michael Jackson's success. I mean, if that's the case, I mean, Bruce Houdin is just as responsible because it, it comes down to how he captured it. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's people who who seek out original pressings of Thriller and Bad and Off the Wall just because how they were captured were so so pristine and has kind of been lost among all the remasters perhaps. But so, I mean, I feel like this is going to be that moment where people really start to see that, you know, how important it is to capture your music as well, instead of just creating it. So I'm very excited about it. Um, I don't have that much to add, but I'm, I'm very excited. Out of all the documentaries, this is the one I'm most excited about. I feel like this is the one that pushes the focus back to where it really should be after all this time.
0: All right. So, listeners, if you happen to be living in Mallorca, Spain, and you are available uh, between October 27th and November 2nd, this will be premiering at the Mallorca International Film Festival. Go check it out. Report back. Tell us what you think. Uh, I am excited. I'm going to say I have kind of the opposite hesitation to what I did with Jin's documentary, uh, if the trailer is anything to go by, Marcos has played it safe here and not included Michael's music and a lot of footage of Michael. And I do, I do wonder, like you know, when you're thinking about Bruce and the Thriller album and and you know all the albums, Bruce. I think, I'm pretty sure Bruce actually engineered all of adult, uh, Michael's adult solo albums, right? Even including Invincible. But like you know, is is, that, is not having the music in there and some of the footage is that going to be okay? If it's true that the estate have sort of blocked him from including music in this, I would be um I wouldn't be shocked, but I'd be devastated because what an opportunity they have here. Like what what are your thoughts on this? Like should every official documentary product that comes out be the brainchild of the estate or do you think like I do should they be waiting there for professional documentary directors to come to them with ideas and they embrace them.
2: I absolutely believe they should embrace them. I mean, at the end of the day, what if, even if they don't get like a direct, you know, immediate cut for licensing, I mean, it still benefits them. I mean, it's still mm-hmm. the idea is to bring more people to Michael Jackson for people to understand Michael Jackson better. I mean, that benefits them. I, I don't see why they would shoot themselves on the foot and not allow it for people who are trying to make positive Documentaries about Michael Jackson. One, I mean, and you have these other negative documentaries that they swear they can't do anything about. They use his videos and use his concerts and his music. I mean, if you can't stop them, why would you want to stop these people who are trying to redirect the narrative? You know what I'm saying? So, Mm. I mean, I mean, I I I understand they're a business and maybe they have their own plans for Thriller. But at the same time, I mean, it's not really a competition, is it? I mean. As long as it benefits the memory of Michael Jackson or maybe I'm thinking about it, maybe I'm thinking about it too much as a fan, not as a business thing, but i I just don't see how it hurts them to allow to to be more lenient with people who are trying to celebrate and pay tribute to michael yeah. I, I just don't understand I just don't understand the process of making it so complicated for people who want to do things i mean because i I remember I, was looking, I used to look on eBay for a lot of Michael merchandise just to see. I mean, I'm a dreamer. And, you know, there, there was this guy who was selling. He had collected so much of Michael's clothes for a museum. And he had he, spent all his time and money gathering these things. And the estate just wanted to take all the profits from him. And so it just didn't work out. And I'm like, I mean, come on. I mean, I, I, like I said, I understand that it's a business. But at the same time, you know, it's also about Michael. I mean, they're not working in a museum. Why would they stop somebody from making one? You know?
1: I couldn't agree with you more. Absolutely. I I, I wouldn't want to see everything come through the estate because I, I think that that stifles and homogenizes the 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 product that's coming out. But you said it so well is that it's not harming them to work with these individuals that have these fantastic ideas that they're not doing anything with um, to prevent them and um, you know, there's been so much feedback from you know photographers and and other folks that that worked with Michael and have this amazing content that the world hasn't seen because the estate refuses to allow them to release their own art. And I, I don't I don't understand that. I'm, I'm really looking forward to to seeing you know what what Marcos has done with this. I think it's I think it's going to be beautiful, regardless of whether there's music in it or, or not. But it's yeah, it's unfortunate that they're. They're not putting out a lot of things that the fans are asking for, and they're also, you know, simultaneously crippling folks that are trying to put out just amazing work.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, time will tell. I'm confident as well, Christina, that the the stories of these collaborators um, are going to shine through. Absolutely. Here's to Sonic Fantasy. Okay, the next news story I'm going to take a step back from because I seriously I I don't know whether how this is going to go down with our listenership but I actually am the kind of Michael Jackson fan that these days doesn't really engage with a lot of the detail around the allegations like I just don't mm-hmm. like I do kind of you know I follow key people and I see when there's major developments but as for the ins and outs of the court cases and the the motions and the briefs and all of this kind of stuff like I just um Yeah. I don't know. That's yeah. I I don't do that. So (laughs) I would love if you guys could sort of be the experts here a little bit and talk about this late appeal that's come from James Safechuck in his ongoing lawsuit against the Michael Jackson estate. Yeah. I just educate me what's going on.
2: So from my understanding, I'm not claiming to be a complete expert, but from what I've gathered, This is Safechuck's final chance for an appeal, barring any more further appeals. And his lawyer did not manage to file it in time and managed to get a late injunction for it to get into court. And apparently he's more or less rehashing all the arguments that Safechuck has made since 2014. Uh, He's kind of he's he's basically just doubling down. He's trying to say that, uh, you know, maybe the judge has been enamored with Michael's fame and that uh, Michael's employees and companies had a duty of care for children that worked for them, namely James Safechuck. They're trying to argue, actually, almost everything they're arguing is pretty ridiculous, saying that Safechuck was an asset to Michael Jackson's companies. They're trying to establish that he was employed by Michael's companies, even though there's no proof of that. They're trying to say he generated profit for Michael's tours. You know, just by having a two spot dance in the bad tour, (laughs) apparently.
1: And holding an umbrella.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And apparently he was a vital asset to the Michael Jackson companies and that they had this duty of care. And they're also trying to establish that Michael's employees knew or had reason to believe he was a molester. But according to I mean, but it also, from what I've read, completely goes against the depositions of those exact same employees about how they obviously did not know or did not believe and do not believe that Michael Jackson was a child molester. And one argument that I saw broken down pretty well, they were trying to argue that there was a rule or that one of Michael's employees warned someone not to leave their children with Michael. However, that was referring to a policy that employees were not allowed to bring their children to Neverland when they were working. Now they had a family day in which employees could bring their children and Michael encouraged that obviously. But it's a lot of trying to double down and manipulate on what other people say. Um, Now, also, something that was very interesting is that in the argument, in the appeal, that um, Finaldi doubled down on, well, Finaldi is uh, James Safechuck's lawyer, by the way. Um, Vince Finaldi, he doubled down on James Safechuck's assertion that he was only abused from 1988 to when he was 14 years old in 1992. So for all the Leaving Neverland experts out there that again confirms that Dan Reed has gone on a tangent and completely changed James Chuck's own story to try and fix the train station story. But yes, those those were some of the key interesting things that I managed to take from it. He's mostly doubling down and just hoping that the courts buy it and um, take sympathy upon the sensitive climate of child abuse in 2021. That's that's what i've gathered for the most important part yes
1: yeah i you nailed it really well there and i they're literally running out the clock with this they're they're running out the clock and they're racking up you know fees when they know that they've got absolutely no no grounds for the for these lawsuits I, what i thought was really interesting was it's been 8 years 11 variations of lawsuits six full dismissals two sets of civil attorneys and two appeals The only reason that Finaldi did this at the very last minute is, you know, the the court sent a notice of default on October 1st, giving him an additional two weeks. So they knew ahead of time that they were, you know, the the fans were really excited that this was finally going to be dismissed and waited until the court essentially scolded him to do his job. They sent it in. And now um, I believe the next step is the estate has until November 15th to respond um, but the feeling is that they will most likely request an extension, which is just so frustrating. Um, and 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 I feel you completely. I've kind of just at one point had to step back from all of the court information because it's just it's overwhelming and it's it's super frustrating and it's really sad that you know twelve years after Michael's passed, he's still you know consistently in in the courts. It's really sad. If this appeal fails, their only options are they can try an en banc review, um, which is apparently extremely rarely granted. The court awards these hearings in approximately 0.3% of the cases in which it's requested. And even if that was approved or or considered, their next step after that would be the Supreme Court, which is completely improbable of that happening
2: so the supreme court is not going to see this
1: it's not going to happen it's it's just not it's my my hope is that whatever happens with this this step right here is is the end of it and we don't have to talk about it anymore
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I really really hope so
0: yeah i i just find it really draining mentally to think about all the time and Mm -hmm. you know props to the the people out there who are so just um learned in it all and and i'm sure all of that research and understanding is going to find its way into you know maybe products in the future or books and those kind of things but um yeah i uh, i find it really depressing <laughs> to be honest to think about all the time
1: like yeah. the only silver lining and you touched on it just now like the the only thing that gives me so much pride is is in the fan community and the amount of work and research and dedication a number of fans have put into this in, Mm -hmm. you know, going to the courthouse in, you know, everything that Vera has done. um, Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and just uh, requesting documents from, um, from the courts and uploading them and then trying to break down that legalese into a way that, that fans from all over the world can try to understand um, and follow along. So kudos to you know, these, the fans that have just dedicated so much of their time to this, you know, to, to really help, you know, a lot of, I think a lot of the fans, you know, this is very emotional and it's, um, you don't understand what's happening and it's scary and there's a lot of misinformation. And so, yeah, again, kudos to the fans.
0: For sure. Um, okay. So in Brighton news, there was recently a, uh, an event on September 25th called Global Citizens Live. And uh, it's pretty much a worldwide concert, 24-hour global event. Uh, in which this, these concerts and, and the people that organize it try to take action on issues like poverty, climate change, and inequality. Now, I was certainly not expecting this, but team member Charlie Thompson started tweeting um, on September 25th that there was a tribute to Michael Jackson going on in the middle of this concert. And uh, I, I was kind of taken aback because, you know, as we know, since leaving Neverland, there's kind of been this whole silence Michael Jackson kind of thing uh, at these kind of big official events. And it seems like uh, Michael was able to cut through with this one and there was a We Are The World style tribute where there was a spoken introduction by Billy Porter, who is an actor in the Netflix TV show Pose and also the movie Cinderella. And Oh, my goodness. He, he gave a really great little uh, spoken introduction to We Are the World. And then you've got Chinese classical pianist, Lung Lung, performing We Are the World, accompanied by the Young People's Chorus Choir from New York City. And it was it was something to behold. I really loved it. I loved the footage of Michael there on the screen, and it was it was really special. Did you guys get a chance to see that one?
2: Yes, I did not see the speech, unfortunately, but I did see their um, beautiful rendition of uh, We Are the World, and I thought it was actually very beautiful. They started, they put a few um, classical choir elements on their pronunciation of the words and stuff, and so that, as a Central High School choir alumni, I thought that was actually very beautiful to see, and it made me remember my, my days in choir. Um, we actually, the year after Michael passed away, um, we did Earth Song. Wow. So- it, that took It took me back and it was beautiful to see in 2021, Michael's and impact has not been completely erased, obviously. And so, yeah, it was actually very beautiful. It actually brightened my day a lot to see mm-hmm. that. And uh, my wife told me this, um, that apparently Long Long is considered uh, the greatest or one of the greatest pianists in the entire world at the moment. And so for such a high caliber person to, you know, put Michael's legacy out there like that, I mean, well, to put himself out there like that and continue to honor Michael's impact and legacy, I thought was very beautiful and something I think a lot of the fans would need right now to see.
1: Agree completely. It was beautiful. You know, and, and anytime they're, they're paying respects to not only Michael's music, but his philanthropy is beautiful to remind the world that, you know, he there was a lot to Michael and his contributions. I was surprised that it apparently in his speech, we are the world has raised over 63 million dollars in the 36 years since its release wow that's incredible wow so yeah any any time they they're you know being respectful and and remembering that is is just such a beautiful way to honor him
0: yeah, yeah. And and it is always, Ricky, you're right, it is always amazing to see like such well respected artists, you know, um paying tribute to Michael. And Lung Lung is amazing. Your wife is hundred percent correct. I've seen I've had the pleasure of seeing him perform live. I went to one of his concerts in Beijing. Wow. And he he is just like ridiculous. Like he can just command an entire audience for two hours, just him and a piano and he he is absolutely amazing, and um, I got the chance to meet him as well after that concert. He's very very oh, wow. humble, humble, nice, wonderful person. So um, I I was That's wonderful, yeah, really thrilled to see this. Um, it's great to see Michael being honored in such a global way. All right, we've, we've had some interviews come out recently with some different Michael Jackson collaborators. Glenn Ballard is one of them, and he gave uh, a, a brief interview uh, discussing his work with Michael Jackson. Of course, he co-wrote Man in the Mirror and Keep the Faith, but in this particular interview, he gives a little bit of a nugget of information that we didn't know before, and I always assumed that his work with Michael started during the bad era, but it turns out that he actually worked on Thriller with Michael Jackson as well. He apparently wrote a, a few songs for Thriller and Michael recorded a demo with him in Westlake in consideration for the album and, of course, it didn't make the album. I don't know any more than that other than what's in the interview, but now it has really made me wonder, what is that song? Have we? Is it one that's already come out or is it one that hasn't come out? But interesting.
1: I wondered about that as well and didn't didn't get a chance to kind of search for it to see if that was any of the widely circulated demos that, you know, didn't make it on the album, that that was the one he's referring to. Yeah, I'm really interested to know which which track that was.
0: Mm.
2: Yeah, um, I want I want to say that he had mentioned or implied in the Bad 25 documentary that he had worked with Michael on Thriller or that he had been writing for Michael. And some of the songs had been rejected. And so he wasn't sure before he and Saeed Garrett went to the piano and started writing Man in the Mirror. I want to say that's the case, but don't quote me.
1: I think you're right. That sounds familiar.
2: Yes. like I, I think that's the story he told in the Bad 25 documentary. He It was actually one of the very last songs that went on Bad, and he didn't, he didn't think he was going to get it either. But that also could have been pertaining to Bad's, but don't quote me but I think so.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, I've
0: only seen that documentary a couple of times, so <laughs> I've watched the footage of Michael performing in it countless times, but <laughs> yeah, that would be that would be really interesting to know more about this song. I mean, Thriller is such an interesting period of time anyway, so the more we can learn the better. Maybe we'll try and reach out to him for an interview.
2: That would be amazing. That would be so awesome. Let's,
0: let's do it. Let's do it. All right, so a new photo of Michael has come out. This photo. Oh my god. Greg Gorman, photographer, famous photographer who, I mean, you guys would know some of the other work he did with Michael. He did those those really famous um, bad era images, the tarantula on Michael's face, the one with the lace over Michael's face. Then a couple of years ago, there was the photo that leaked out of Michael sitting down wearing the red leg warmers.
1: And nothing else.
0: And, and the, well, well, yeah, very part. little else. There we go.
1: Yeah, very little <laughs> we, else. <laughs> we saw a lot of Michael.
0: Um, <laughs> and then now we have this new, really interesting photo, which when I first saw it, I was like, wow, that's really unlike any other photo taken of Michael Jackson. He is covered in really interesting-looking clothing that looks to be inspired by a sort of Indian or Middle Eastern garb you've got bejeweled headpiece pearls everywhere it looks beautiful i don't know that it would have worked as the bad album cover because apparently this these photos i mean i don't know if this is true but what i have read is that the photos that greg was taking were being considered as album covers so i'm kind of glad they didn't go with this one as an album cover i i personally still think the lace photo should have been the bad cover Sorry, Elise. I know she's like all about the bad stuff, but um, I actually agree. I like the lace one. But um, anyway, so what do you guys think of this photo? Do you like it?
2: Oh, I absolutely love it. It's so regal. It mm. reminds me, it, it surprised me Michael never tried this look again, honestly. I mean, I, I could see him using this look for something like I want to say, remember, even though this is Indian, I could kind of see something similar to this uh, being used for Remember the Time. So it's kind of interesting to think about how more he could have used this, but it's a, it's just a gorgeous photo, especially mm. in retrospect. Um, yeah, I agree with you. I I don't think it would have worked for the cover of Bad. It would have been, I think it would, I think if they would have used it, I think it would have been beautiful in the album sleeve notes by Liberian girl. Yeah, it has uh-huh. it, it has uh-huh. kind of an exotic look to it, even though that's Indian. I mean, and uh, I think well, the garb is Indian, and the song is obviously Liberian, but still, I think. It would fit the aesthetic pretty well, so I could see that. I I could see how that could have been used there, but all in all, I just I had to say as soon as I saw it, I was like, I have to save this. I'm going to use this for one of my wallpapers, but it's it's just a gorgeous photo of Michael.
1: Yeah, it definitely is. It's it's beautiful. It's a lot. I think it's the most bling I've ever seen on Michael at one time.
2: Oh right. It's Yeah
1: stunning the amount of rhinestones and jewels or whatever is in there it is interesting because i remember the 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 necklace the for lack of a better word it's it's really this you know immense piece of of jewelry was he was wearing it in a photo that I think everyone has probably seen where he's not wearing the headdress. Yes. He's wearing the neck piece, but it has like a shirt on that has like larger rhinestones. So it I don't know which direction it went if he they, they took that photo first and then added what looks to be like a brocade suit jacket with more bling on it in addition to the the headpiece. When I first saw it it reminded me of the story Michael Bush shared about Remember the Time and how originally he was supposed to be wearing a headpiece in that video, and Michael hated it hmm. to the point where he hid it the day that they filmed. <laughs> and that's why Michael's not wearing the headpiece in Remember the Time. He um, did the right thing.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I agree completely. <laughs> yeah. He did the right thing. So to it just that seeing that piece on his head reminded me of that story. Um and I'm curious why that, that photo hadn't You know, I understand, I I get not using it as the album cover, but I'm curious, you know, why it never was released until now.
2: It's so interesting you say that because, you know, now I think now I'm thinking about it a little more. Um, I'm not sure if this was before or after the album was officially titled, because Mm -hmm. I know originally Michael wanted to go with Smooth Criminal. So maybe they were tinkering with the album name a bit at that time as well but I say i know we we think of it we know it as bad but i mean what if what if they went a different direction i wonder maybe maybe that's why they maybe that's why they were testing with this look
1: that's a really great point
0: i think they must have been sort of undecided on the marketing for bad for quite a while because i think karen faye put on her twitter the other day that the album cover for bad i mean obviously it's michael in the the bad short film but they just um you know during the shoot for the bad video, they just kind of set up a white screen, took some photos, and then decided on that one as the album cover yeah, it just makes me makes me think that maybe that all that marketing was being decided quite late in the game. I don't know that's that album cover the current the 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 what it, what became the final bad album cover is um I don't know I gotta ask you guys what do you just in general, what do you think of it? Do you think it was a bit of a miss there or
2: I think it worked for the time. I think the album cover were aged a little worse than the album. I'd say, you know, of course, when I first saw it, I was like, oh, cool. When I look at it now, I'm like, yeah, yeah, okay. For me, the pose was trying a bit too hard. I feel like some of the other shots, I mean, some of the other shots from that same session fit a little bit better to me. But I mean, I think it accomplished what it was meant to at that time, I'll say.
1: Yeah, agree completely. The pose is off. But I have to say that the, you know, that when you when you think of bad, you think of the buckles and that outfit and the belt. And so it it kind of just put together and I don't know if that was because the photo was chosen for the cover that that's why that's synonymous with bad. But like, if I, I look at the other photos that were, you know, like the lace one and the one with the tarantula. And to me, that doesn't evoke bad and everything that that was around it so you're right it's very very 80s but it to me it's just it's synonymous with that whole kind of you know buckles and belts and michael you know really wanting to come across as being bad. a total badass <laughs> <laughs> oh michael
2: <laughs> like yeah. he, had, he had the look he had the look down he had the buckles and the fashion down but the pose
1: nah. the pose is not my you're right and there were other poses from that same yes. shoot that i think would have been much better suited
2: exactly
0: the like, bad 25 cover i
2: actually kind of prefer to the original cover absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. but I say that because it it just allows the look, the, the, bu- the buckles, the hair, I mean, it allows that to take precedence instead of, oh, Michael Jackson's, you know, flexing, you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah.
0: All right, I'm glad we got that sorted out. <laughs> 137 episodes in and we have decided on bad. Okay, sorry, Elise. Oh, man, Elise is going to be like, <laughs> anyway, I'll have to give her a right of reply in the next uh, time we're on an episode together. Okay, now... um we have got another documentary coming out just to throw something different in the episode. Another documentary, uh, the Three Michaels. It finally has a theatrical screening date coming up. Now, this is a bit of a this is a very interesting uh, topic of a documentary, and it's kind of a love it or hate it sort of one. I talk to people, and they either they can't wait for it to come out, or there's some people that are just like, "Why do you care about this?" <laughs> but anyway, so there's a, a guy called Tristan Anderson, um, director. He's a BAFTA and Webby Award-winning um, documentary. And uh, his uh, film is finally coming out, premiering November 13th at Stratford East Picture House at 6 p.m. in London. Um, I really want to encourage Michael Jackson fans from, from England to go there. It's taken him four years to make this documentary. And I remember contributing to the Kickstarter definitely pre-COVID. It was years ago. I remember Q and I did a regular episode of the MJ cast and we included it as a news topic. And for a long time, it looked like the documentary wasn't going to get funded. But then I remember Taj Jackson, he promoted it and and gave some money towards it a few days before it was about to complete. And it didn't look like it was going to make its funding. But then it just, bam, everybody started getting involved as well. And uh, it's an interesting premise. It's about three impersonators and it covers their performances from the early days, uh, in following Michael's footsteps, and them embarking on this big road trip to Hollywood to try and get noticed, and find an agent, and get paid, and make they make friends with famous people, and all this kind of stuff. So, I I'm actually kind of interested. The, the three guys they're called Cheval, Quentin, and Malachi. Uh, at the time of the documentaries filming, they were all in their sort of mid to late 20s. They're probably just a touch holder now. And they're Michael Jackson tribute artists from small towns on the west coast of America. And it's all about their journey from these small towns to Hollywood in trying to... Make it, I guess. It looks quirky and fun, and I think as well. I'm, I'm just getting from the trailer that it's probably got a lot of heart and hopefully a great tribute to Michael's impact on these three guys. So there's something about this that makes me really want to see it. I know Elise is excited about it as well, and it looks like we, we'll only have to wait a few more weeks until it premieres.
1: You know, at first I was really skeptical until I read the the synopsis, and I have to agree with you. It it looks like it's going to be potentially a lot of fun and there's that there's a lot of heart in it and uh, one of the descriptions on the 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 film uh, website was you know as a director they he wanted to capture this journey where you felt like you're going along for the ride with them the highs the lows when i realized that it was really telling their story mm-hmm. and that this wasn't about impersonating michael jackson and trying to tell michael jackson's story through impersonators Mm -hmm. my opinion of this completely changed and i'm looking forward to seeing it i hope that it's um and it sounds like from the from the teaser with the with the director that he he is very empathetic and compassionate to what these three individuals have have experienced in in trying to make a, a living doing this um which i can imagine is not easy So I'm glad that it doesn't seem like it's, you know, portraying them in a negative light.
2: Yeah, I'll be honest. Like, um, I'm not very huge on impersonators, but for what it is, I think it's actually very interesting concept because I mean, we, we always see Michael Jackson imitate or impersonators, you know, I I see them a lot you know, they're doing shows and there's Michael Trapson, but you never really get to see how that is, what goes into that business. I mean, I've been to LA and I've seen the impersonators on the walk of fame and those types of things. But, um. You never really get to see what goes into that, and so I feel like that is a very interesting story to tell. But beyond that, it doesn't—it didn't really interest me that much. I'll be very honest. I—I <laughs> I, when I
0: first saw it, I felt the same way. I was like, "Oh, I'm not a big impersonator guy," and I'm not really. Like, I, I do know some impersonators, I guess, and and. But the more I've thought about it, the the more I'm interested in the concept of impersonation and like. It's a real lifestyle choice in a lot of ways. And absolutely. And, and like what makes somebody want to do it and how far do they go with it and how much does it like there are impersonators and there's impersonators. Like there's people that mm-hmm. like put on a tribute show sometimes and then there's people that almost try to recreate the life of Michael in their lives. Like, Jason Jackson from Sydney, I think it is. This guy has, like, his backyard is like Neverland. Wow. I feel like, I've heard like he's it. recreated Neverland in his suburban backyard. Uh, and, and it just makes me think, and uh, I'm just interested in these three impersonators and what has made them so devoted to Michael Jackson. And it's just an interesting... Way of living to kind of explore, so I'm interested for that reason, I think, as well.
2: I will say that I will say that sometimes when I look at impersonators, I, I do forget the fact that they are just super fans at the core a lot of the time, you know, because I don't know, but they've just never struck a chord with me. Like, I remember when I used to work, and well, everyone around me knew I was a huge Michael Jackson fan, and people would show me these Michael Jackson videos, they'd be like, Oh my god, Ricky's gonna love this, and I would see that, I'd be like, No, this is not for me. I prefer yeah prefer the real thing but uh um, me too yeah i'm like that but i mean looking at it from like from the way you just said it um, you know look, just remembering the fact that they, these guys are super fans that they've dedicated their lives i mean I'm like that's that's actually really cool and something i should see but then i then i start thinking about that man i really want to i can't think of this guy's name but i mean he's an impersonator and he dresses like michael and he makes up his face like michael and he's always it's like he's literally pretending he is michael and i'm just like
0: I know. Stop.
2: Yeah. Stop. Yeah. And th- I feel like that's what gets stuck in my head when I when I hear impersonators. You know what I
0: mean? Yeah, that's it, right? And then there's we probably the one of the posts that we've got. Mm, how should I say this? In trouble for more than most other posts we do. One of the most controversial posts we've ever done from the MJ cast was in our oh second year, I think our second season or third season. And we put, we made this graphic. I was, it was just grinding me so, so much. I couldn't stand how these impersonators keep. Drawing the triangle nostrils on their noses, like to try and look like Michael. <laughs> so we made this graphic close up of all these impersonators' noses. And I just want to caption on it saying, Will you stop with drawing the little triangle nostrils? It's just, what are you doing? And- <laughs> <laughs> and it just went bananas. And, like, we ended up getting into this, like, war with Na'vi online. And it's just.
2: <laughs> with Na'vi? The biggest one ever? Wow. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. We kind of, because he made up. I think there was on the picture there was, like, eight nostrils. Oh, no, eight noses. And he, or something. And he, like, made up, like, three or four of them. Like, it was disproportionately anti-Na'vi nostril. And um, <laughs> he just, like, he was upset about that. And I, sh- I probably shouldn't be saying this because. <laughs> Celisa so and I, oh my god, dealing with the Navi like warriors coming after us was a whole heap of fun. Not um and I don't know what's now gonna happen if if this comes out, but um look he'll be all right. He'll be all right.
1: I will say there were a lot of very interesting and I'm biting my tongue because um I've had a number of conversations recently with Charles Thompson regarding this topic mm-hmm. and um Charles has really great perspectives on it that usually have me in (laughs) stitches with tears coming out of my eyes. Um, But there were a lot of very unusual experiences, both at Forest Lawn on the June 25th anniversary and definitely in Vegas this year. And this was the first time I had gone to Michael's birthday celebration in Vegas and was there for all of 17 hours. But almost every impersonator that I could think of was there. And, without naming names, I, I think I know who you're referring to. And um, there's, there's one in particular that not only has taken great steps to look like Michael, but actually takes on like, I think what he thinks Michael's persona, what his own. So I'm, I'm always curious and concerned for individuals where they have no longer, they've lost their sense of who they are as a, as an individual. Mm. And you know how, how does that impact their their day to day life? I know I've, I've met a, n- a number of impersonators, met a, a, a number of them at the house in Gary um, for the first couple birthday celebrations, and it was the most surreal experience. And I'm forgetting which which impersonator it was. He came over and talked with us, and he was the nicest guy, and he had a life outside of this. And we met his, his makeup artist and they were, you know, if you, if you saw him out of the costume and the makeup, you wouldn't have known. Um, So it was really interesting that he very clearly had his own sense of identity, but that he did this thing um, because his physique and his, you know, his face looked a bit like Michael, but the surrealist thing was he was standing in the front yard of 2300 Jackson street next to Joe Jackson. Mm. And it was the weirdest thing. And apparently when he had shown up at the house the first time, Joseph did a double take. And it it took him kind of a minute. There was like an emotional response in Joseph that this man looks so much like his son who's no longer here. So it's just – it's those interactions where it just – it feels odd sometimes. Yeah, and- that
0: creeps me out. That really we- weeds yeah. me out. Somebody <laughs> would feel like – it's appropriate to dress as somebody's dead family member and then go to them and yeah. talk to them like that's just i i don't i don't get it like i don't know maybe listeners want to reply with a different opinion but i i i don't i can't imagine a reality i would ever want to do that it's just just really weird to me and i think there's a point as well with some impersonators where they okay put it this way the closer somebody tries to look like michael jackson to me, the less they look like him. It's like yes. it, mm-hmm. if, if somebody just looks like themselves and busts out some cool MJ moves, that suspends my disbelief way more than if they paint triangular nostrils on their face. Like I I, I wouldn't. So uh, the tribute show, Who's Bad? I think it is that Elise has mm-hmm. seen like a million times. And these guys have been doing it forever, even extending back to when Michael was, you know, Alive, they they're kind of a little bit more classy in how they do it to me. It's kind of like they look; they don't overdo it with the makeup. They they do dress like him, but it's they just get up there and it's all like sort of authentic, and I like that. I like the less is more approach.
1: Well, and there's they're musicians. Uh, I've seen I saw Who's Bad way long time ago, two thousand nine or so, right after Michael passed, and I understand that they've they've changed quite a bit. They've you know definitely kind of polished their routines and their costuming and and everything since then. Um, And I know Elise is a huge fan of them and they put on a really great show. I think that's, that's, that's great. I mean, that's for a lot of us, maybe that's as close as we're ever going to get, but at least that's intentional. The, the, the awkward situations are, and I would love to hear the listeners, um, you know, feedback on this of, you know, how do you feel like on June 25th, when you go to Forest Lawn, and there were a number of impersonators. The music was really loud. We actually had like a number of radios kind of competing with each other. And the impersonators were like dancing outside mm. of Holly Terrace. And so I'm really interested in, um, you know, everyone's got a different, you know, perception of, of whether that's enjoyable or whether it's, it's kind of off-putting.
0: Well, at what point is it about Michael Jackson? Is it for some of these yeah. people, is it more about them or is it about Michael?
2: Yeah, well, I could definitely say I, that would be very off-putting to me. Okay. I'm with you. <laughs> yeah. a, I don't know. A, cause, especially because June 25th, I mean, I've been to Forest Lawn one time. It wasn't on any of mm-hmm. his anniversaries. I just – it was the last time I was in L.A. And, I mean, it was it was so I, – I I'll put it like this. I can't describe the feeling I had when I was there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It just felt like, I mean – because, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty – young like i said i became a fan of michael in like 2006 when i was in like the fifth grade and so when he passed away it was i I don't know i felt it was it was devastating uh not only just to lose him but to know you know i never really got a chance to just experience him because he was so inactive those years and so really being at forest lawn that day um it was you know the closest i would ever get to him technically Hmm. and so it's 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 very emotional i was saying so i'm pretty sure i wouldn't if i was there again I would not want to see impersonators out in front of his terrace dancing.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the the location kind of d- commands and and deserves a, a level of reverence. I I think it reached a point where it just it was maybe not a not an appropriate level of celebration on that day
2: right and i mean like i mean i'm not i mean if somebody wants to do that i mean i'm not gonna blame. i mean people want to celebrate michael that day you know however they want i mean i'm not going to take that away from them but i just know for me personally being there i feel like i would kind of stray away from that because i mean i mean because like i said i mean everybody handles it differently i mean people want to celebrate and tribute that day differently it's it's always it has never gotten easier for me that day so that's just yeah but you know that's just I mean, how I feel. I you know I'm not disencouraging anybody who wants to do that. I mean, if that's how you you know pay tribute or have fun or get through that day, you know, please do yeah. it. Yeah, I And then
0: the the other perspective on it is like uh, I, I I used to be pretty much on the site very similar to that side for a long time, and then somebody a few years ago, I can't remember who it was. I think it was in an episode with Q. Somebody was talking about, well, what's the difference between going to like between what we're talking about and going to say Comic-Con and people are cosplaying Michael Jackson, you know, can, you know, if people are dressing up as different characters from Michael Jackson short films and like, you know what I mean? Or is that?
2: Well, see, the thing is I'm not against impersonators. It's, Mm -hmm. it's okay. It's, it's for me, it's the extreme examples. Like I don't have a problem with them because I mean, they're actually to me a a vital part of keeping his legacy alive at this stage, Mm. you know, in life. So I mean I'm not oblivious to that, and uh, you know I think I think it's a good thing, you know, because I I mean there's a show we're going to see in like a few months. uh, I think it's Thriller Live here in Germany. So I mean I'm not completely opposed to it. It's 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 those extreme examples that are off-putting to me. Yeah. Yeah. When they overdo the makeup and or they start acting like him. Or, I mean, I don't have a problem with them dressing like him. I mean like if you're performing, I mean cool I, d- I do want to see you in you know the, the the shoes and the socks and the glove. I mean I feel like that's that's part of the impersonation. It's like when you dress like him every day in your daily life and you you're acting like you are him or you can speak for him, that it becomes very disturbing to me. So I mean, when it's appropriate, it's appropriate. Like if somebody wanted to go to Comic Con, but of course, whatever. I mean, if somebody is at a show, I mean, cool. I mean, now, like, but like you said, if you're walking up to Joseph Jackson, dressed like Michael, I mean, right? Maybe you have good intentions, but that's gonna provoke. I mean, that's very likely to provoke an emotional response, like what happened in Joseph. I mean, that that's that's a step too far. That's inappropriate, and that's that's not something I would ever recommend somebody do. It, it's those cases where I'm kind of like "Mm, we shouldn't do that but i mean i'm not against it or anything like that
1: yeah i think location and context is important
2: absolutely basically you know appropriate times for appropriate things
1: definitely
0: what about makeup because michael obviously suffered uh, vitiligo you know what i mean so like how how appropriate is appropriate is it for people to be wearing light colored makeup to be imitating somebody with a skin disorder—that—that
2: is—that is forever going to be a slippery slope. To be completely honest with you, because mm. I mean, it, and it—it's—it's it's always up to the interpretation of the person. Because I mean, I, I can say that Michael came into people's lives at different times. I mean, I mean, like, whereas you have like most, I'll say, American fans know Michael well their main associated image of Michael is probably the Jackson five days through the thriller days, maybe the bad days. And maybe some of the, maybe some other fans know him more, consider he's more iconic in the dangerous and history era. So that's the era they would want to see. So it's, it's such a slippery slope. I mean, personally, I would not do that. I would not advocate for that, but I mean, it's, it's really hard to say because I mean, I'm pretty sure nobody means any harm by it. That's just the face that they're used to seeing. I hate to say it that way. That is how they're used to seeing Michael is the best way to say it. Yeah. So I I really don't know. It's such a slippery slope. It's it's hard for me to say either way. Like I wanna say that it's better up to like thriller era, but I mean that's same at the same time, and you know, you just I can't say. I'm sorry.
0: I think it's just an interesting thought experiment, an ethical thought experiment, where it's like clearly um, m- most of us would agree, I-, I would agree that it would be uh, ethically inappropriate and wrong for a white fan to be putting dark makeup on and doing some kind of black face type thing. That would be, oh, yeah. I-, I wouldn't agree with that. But how different really is it, somebody putting light makeup on? You're still imitating a black man with a skin disorder. You know, I don't know. I, it's I don't know how respectful that is. I've only started thinking about that in the last couple of years, but anyway,
2: I really have to think about that one because I, I really can't say because I just really can't say because at, at the same time they're technically impersonating Michael, but mm. they're taking very weird measures and unnecessary measures to do it.
0: Yeah, a lot of liberties.
2: <laughs> exactly, and then the, yeah, and then they overdo it. Is that's the thing? Like that's my main problem with it. <laughs> the nostrils they've got
0: to stop the nostrils (laughs) come on
1: (laughs) you you just you you made a really good point there because I was just thinking about the dance contest in Vegas and none of the contestants tried to look like Michael outside of their clothing they were excellent dancers I mean they you Mm -hmm. know that they were portraying the artistry but none of them came in makeup or wigs Mm-hmm. Um, you know some of them had clothing that was either very much like Michael or reminiscent of michael it wasn 't any less enjoyable to see someone dancing and evoking Michael without the makeup and hair if that makes any sense absolutely yeah. it's like you In, can
0: you, to me it 's more enjoyable. you get to see somebody absolutely. being them tributing michael and 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 Letting him, his awesomeness and his artistry kind of flow through them. But um, yeah, I, I, I get ter- more turned off the more they look like Michael, or try to look like Michael. <laughs> anyway, wow, that was a rabbit hole. Um, right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know what, I still think this documentary would be really cool because i I, I think it 's going to be about the people behind the the impersonation and and uh, their stories so i can't i can 't wait to check it out so uh, that one again will be coming out I believe on November thirteenth at the stratford East picture house six p m in London all right now we've got a couple of more news items to go this one's a little lighter and a little more fun a Tokyo baseball team. Called the Tokyo Giants uh, has collaborated with the Michael Jackson estate. Yes, the Michael Jackson estate won't collaborate with uh, award-winning <laughs> documentary filmmakers putting out amazing artistic documentaries <laughs> about the Thriller era, but they will collaborate with the Tokyo Giants to do a Michael Jackson mascot for their baseball team. Making too much sense, Jamin. Making it it too makes much perfect clear. sense. <laughs> 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 Absolutely. I mean I mean you must you've got to assume that there's a lot of money flowing back into the estate from this deal uh, which is probably why they're doing it. But they are uh they've created a character. It's a Michael Jackson rabbit and the rabbit is the Tokyo Giants mascot um, pretty much from now on and I yeah, there's some pictures. I don't know if you guys have been to the late – Oh, actually, you probably wouldn't have because I updated it this morning. There's a newer version of the MJ Vibe article. If you want to click the link, you'll be able to see it. But there's heaps of pictures there now of the actual mascot in two different costumes. You've got a Billy Jean costume and a smooth criminal costume. To me, it doesn't even look like a rabbit, but whatever. looks like
2: a dog. <laughs>
1: looks like okay, a bad. So, i'm sensing i'm probably the only one here who thinks the mascot is freaking adorable i well, love the mascot i'm not into the <laughs> i'm not into the clothing this this kind of merchandise they've released yeah. but i the i thought the pictures i saw i thought it was adorable
0: yeah
2: Man, it's not a bad mascot i mean it's just so random i've seen worse mascots
1: And I I did was so I did learn that maybe the connection there was, uh, I guess, Michael performed 25 times at the Tokyo Dome and Uh, its predecessor, because originally when I saw that, I thought, what? How and but and why? <laughs> <laughs> this is so random. I mean, um, I,
2: think, I think for the bad tour, he played like fifteen shows in Tokyo, something like that.
1: Yeah, yeah. So it, I get there's now I understand. Okay, there's a connection there, but yeah, I don't know about you, but I won't be going to great lengths to purchase any of the merchandise.
0: The merch? Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's heaps of merch. There's there's bags and
1: hoodies mm-hmm.
0: and. You name it. And there's just Michael Jackson, straight up Michael Jackson ones as well. Not oh. just it, without the mascot. Like there's like the, you know, there's like a. Yeah, toe stand some stuff
2: pose. with the toe stand just says Michael Jackson. I mean, it's, it's, I'll say it's a little better than the stuff on the, the estate website.
0: <laughs> <laughs> there's one there. What is this t shirt? There's like a long sleeve black t shirt that has the Michael Jackson official estate logo. Next to the Giants logo. <laughs> Who's going to get that?
2: Maybe some Michael Jackson, Tokyo Giants super fan. You,
0: you would have to be equally as big a fan of both things to want that. But sure, I mean, I'm sure there's some. That's, um, yeah, it's an interesting decision, I'll say that. <laughs> Leave it to the estate. You know what else I find interesting? Look at this picture. I don't know if you guys can see him now. The Okay, look at the one, uh, fourth across, one down. See the pose? It's the kind of the, this is it pose.
2: In the
1: small Some, criminal one? Yes, yes. Smith, he's doing like Bob Fosse jazz hands.
0: Have you guys noticed what I have? <laughs> the estate... In nearly every project they ever do, they this pose is like they try to put it everywhere. <laughs> it's in the Halloween thing. Yeah. It's, in, it's on this is it. they got the impersonator doing the silhouette. It's on this. It's every single project they do, that pose somehow gets in there somewhere.
1: Yeah. It, I don't know what choice. it is. And, yeah. I, and
0: I barely ever saw Michael do it. I can't even I remember really when he actually does that.
1: I was
2: literally about to say, did Michael
0: ever do that pose? I think there's like there's an abstract. There there is like two there's two or so photos of him doing something similar during the smooth criminal, you know, smooth criminal where he throws his hands up in the air kind of through the dance sequence. There's that, but it's not exactly the same at all. And then there's another one I've seen. Yeah, about to say you can
2: see the clear difference between the. Yeah. They used that one on the Ultimate Collection. Yes, I mean, that can post. You see the clear difference between that one and This Is It. Now, yeah. now, now I have this image in my mind of him at the Brit Awards performing Earth Song, where he does it a few times. But I mean,
0: mm.
2: it, it's still different. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's still different. I mean, I, I, I don't understand why they keep pushing that pose. I don't, know.
0: I don't get it. But anyway, it's, uh, here it is again in the uh, Tokyo Giants thing.
2: Uh, I'll take it. It's Michael cool in 2021. <laughs> yeah, it's. Hey, you know what? I'm
0: being super negative. Imagine that. Imagine go, going to a Tokyo Giants game. There's 20,000 people in the audience, and there is a, a Michael Jackson music and a mascot doing his dancing. That's pretty good. Come on.
2: It is. A, it is very cool, but it, I feel like it's also just so random. Right. <laughs> Out of everything <laughs> we've been hoping for, this is like the first <laughs> thing we get, and we're just like, oh man,
1: okay. <laughs> I'll take it. And and not just something that someone created. It actually has the estate's backing on it. It makes it even more ridiculously random of this is what you chose? I
2: mean it's like Michael Jackson's 50th anniversary just passed. There was no acknowledgement. (laughs) And suddenly, hey, you're collaborating with a Tokyo baseball team. Okay. I mean, (laughs) cool, but I mean what? (laughs) What
0: What is going on with this mascot's eye? Look at the right eye. It's like the left eye is normally shaped and the right eye has this, like the, what do you call the white of your eye? What is that? The eyeball is like (laughs) leaking out onto the side of his head. My my
1: favorite one is where he's attempting the lean and he looks wildly terrified. He's very concerned in this photo. Oh yeah,
0: yeah. (laughs) He's not really giving. He is not committed to the lane.
2: I I feel like he's balancing on the table.
1: Oh, you're right. You're right.
2: Oh, he is too. Oh, that's. I mean, his back not even straight.
0: (laughs) They should have called Navi. Navi could have told him how to do it. Oh. Alrighty. So, what do we got? Last news item. Oh, yeah. This is a cool little uh, story. I think it was with The Guardian. And it's an interview about Michael Jackson's year in Bahrain, recovering from his ordeal in 2005, the trial that he was uh, vindicated from. And... It's wow. There's a lot going on in this article. So this is a this is based off of an, off an interview with Omar Shaheen, who is a, a friend of Sheikh Abdullah bin Hamad Al Khalifa, the second son of the King of Bahrain. And uh, famously, when Michael traveled to Bahrain, he uh, was working on some music there, and it became Omar's job to set up a studio ready for Michael's arrival. And this is a serious deep dive into to Michael's recording efforts during that time, his drug use, his um, you know recovery from the trial, his physical state. It's heavy. Like I didn't expect it to get this heavy, but I didn't. I don't even know why this is coming out. To be honest, like I don't. It doesn't seem to be connected with any kind of anniversary or anything. It's it's just an article on Michael in Bahrain that has come out. Did you guys have a chance to read it?
1: It's a lot to digest. Mm. A lot. And a lot of things that I didn't know about and just how far they had come to, you know, trying to record this music with Michael. Like they, I didn't realize that they flew out John Barnes and Bill Bertrell. Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah.
1: And like they ordered his microphones, which, you know, are at a hundred thousand dollars a piece and built this studio and I didn't realize that they had gotten that far and that Michael just wasn't, it, it's, it's a lot, it's, it's a lot of factual information to process and it's a lot of emotional, you know, I, I can't imagine where the Michael's state was, his, the, his state of mind at that point. Just, well,
0: it wasn't well by the sound of no. this article. So, I mean, Bar- when we spoke to John Bards and we interviewed him, he, he did talk about, um, you know, he he, obviously is very, very invested in this Katrina song and, you know, he produced it and put a lot of it together with Michael and it's still yet to come out. John Barnes was very invested in this song and both him and I think this guy who's being interviewed for the article, Omar, both have said that this song will come out at some mm-hmm. point. It's got to come out. Now, it has got artists on it that are... Uh, incredibly current today. So it's got Snoop Dogg on there, Ciara. It's got OJs. It's got some really great artists on there. I hope the song comes out. I don't know if it's got complete Michael Jackson vocals because in the article, Omar says he only ever heard Michael singing twice in the studio, and it's not even clear that he was singing into a microphone in it. We don't even know if Michael's vocal is existent for that song.
2: Well, apparently that they said... His singing wasn't up to standard, quote unquote, in the art. Well, that's a quote from the article, but uh, mm. that's that. Apparently, they wanted him to do one more take, and he uh, didn't show up for that take. Sadly, the Bahrain year has always been one of the more elusive times during Michael's life. I mean, it's a lot of confusion around that, but um, and especially for me, I had no idea what he was doing at that time. But um, it was, it was. It was rough to read and go back to that era and but I mean, seeing all the difficulties, I mean, the only thing I had in my mind the entire time even coming into reading was that I was like there's no way he was in any place to just get back to work after what he went through but I say, I, I just I, there's I mean obviously we know what happened, but I mean I, I just feel like for him to immediately come off come off the trial and jump into something else, I mean, it was just not the right move. He needed time to really sit back. And look back and reflect, and just you know, be a family with his kids. I mean, that's yeah. what he really needed at that time. I mean, him jumping into another deal, I, I just, it was, it was, it was destined to not turn out the way they wanted. Because after you go through something like that, how can you just go back to normal? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, he won, but I mean, his his life was still forever changed, and that's that was what I was thinking about when I came into this. You know, all those problems were stacking up, and I mean. It wasn't just those problems, it was everything he went through. He was he was really weighed down by that point. And that, that was the worst part for me. But that that's all I can think about when I was reading it.
1: I, I wish that he hadn't, you know, I, I think the the financial issues he was having at that time forced him he didn't have a choice. You know I think there's yeah. been there's been a, a you know several moments in Michael's life, even going back to childhood, where I think you know they were watershed moments in his life. If one thing had been different, it would have changed his trajectory for the better or maybe for the worse um but the fact that at that time he was like on the verge of bankruptcy involved in no fewer than forty seven lawsuits mm. had um the, you know, accumulated a $272.5 million personal loan mm-hmm. that was costing him $4.5 million in monthly interest. I mean, wrap your head around that. $4.5 million every month just in interest and was still spending. And that loan was secured against the ETV catalog. And without going down the conspiracy rabbit hole you know there's a lot of conversation around how many high powered individuals had a stake in what happened with that catalog and you've got a man who's you know physically mentally um you know is dealing with a a trial that just shredded him reportedly is is dealing with, um, you know, self-medication, um, and then you add all of this onto it, I, I can understand where Michael was like, I just can't do this. I know I have to, but I just can't do this. Mm-hmm.
2: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: And this is a side of Michael that we there's still so much to learn about. We, we watch him on the bad tour and the dangerous tour, and we, we see this consummate professional full of Confidence, but then the older he gets, the more he seems to be plagued by, you know, anxiety and and these demons. And I, I don't know. I, I, there's not much of that out. Like we don't know a lot about that because obviously that was a very private struggle that Michael had. There's so many commitments that he really did try to get out of. I mean, we're, we're about to do a roundtable episode on the 30th anniversary concert and. When you go and, and you read David Guest's book and Frank Cassio's book and Jermaine Jackson's book, each all three of them detail that few days in in very exhaustive detail, and you know it's clear that later in Michael's career he he absolutely was su- suffering from some kind of anxiety issue, um, whereby he he tried to get out of commitments, really. He wasn't able to handle some of these things that were going on. And the Bahrain thing really feels like that to me as well.
1: It's really sad. There, there was information in there that, you know, part of the plan was, you know, not just to be recording, but that they were talking about, in, in addition to the album, a memoir and a stage musical, and then, of course, the Cirque show that that did eventually happen. And he was saying that, you know, on on a, a one-book publishing deal alone, the offer they got was $24 million which to me speaks a lot that at that time he was still in demand they were still able to command those kind of contracts even after everything that had happened with the trial so you know it's it's a shame that they weren't able to somehow pivot when it became apparent that you know recording isn't like find out what Michael's capabilities are and and focus on that let go of the album if the album's not going to work it just sounds like he just got overwhelmed and was like, I can't, I can't do any of this and just failed.
0: Yeah. Interesting read. I recommend that our listeners jump on that website, go onto the guardian, have a read of this story of this year in Michael's life. It is, um, you know, there's things in there that are difficult to process, but nevertheless, it is a, a real part of Michael Jackson. So, I think that's the end of our show. We have covered quite a bit of news today. Hopefully, our listeners are now feeling up to date with where things are in terms of Michael's world. It's been great to chat to both of you again.
2: Likewise. Thank you. Of course. Thanks for having me again.
0: Absolute pleasure. So, let's uh, catch up on where people can find you guys online. Ricky, if people want to connect with you and hear your thoughts, where can they find you? Oh, and of course, read your, your great pieces that you put
2: out. Oh, of course. The best place to catch me is Twitter. I am ASAP. Uh, Two underscores, Ricky, R-I-C-K-E-Y. I I mean, I'm sure many people already follow me, but that's where you can find me. I'm normally tweeting random thoughts about Michael out, so give me a holler. And um, there's also a link in my my pin tweet to where you can find my medium. And speaking of which, I will be having pieces out to celebrate Invincible and Dangerous this year, if nothing else. But hopefully more things will come along with those. But those are my main two that I'll be sure to have out this year. Before the end of the year, rather.
0: Mm, fantastic. Awesome. I'm still looking for a participant in the Invincible Roundtable, actually. I didn't know you were putting a, a piece out there. Oh, absolutely.
1: Hmm. I think you just found your one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we may need to talk more about that. Let me
1: know. I'll be there.
0: <laughs> All right. Christina, where can people connect with you online?
1: I am on Twitter and Instagram as Velo Christina. Uh,
0: that's great. I got to ask—I've never asked you. What? Uh, explain the Velo.
1: <laughs> so that's been with me um, for a very, very long time. Um, I've been in nonprofit for a number of years, and I started with the American AIDS Rides. Um, so Velo was the the nickname I used in a lot of our online presence. So in forums, it followed me from the AIDS Rides to. Um, you know, like AOL forums. I'm really dating myself now. Um, and then onwards <laughs> to, um, to the, the Prince, um, the MPG music club. Um, so Velo has been with me for over 20 years and I have friends that, that only call me Velo. Um, and I know where I've met them because of that, but, yeah. um, it's just stuck and it's, it's something that I've, you know, just kind of keep around.
0: What do you think about the new Prince thing? There was a new song, a demo that came out.
1: I, the Doomy baby demo.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love it. Yesterday or the day before. I love it's good.
1: it. Yeah, I, I really like it. Um, I, I love the fact that they put it out on cassette, even though I know that's, um, you know, probably not something a lot of people still have in their homes as a cassette player. But <laughs> yeah. I just, I, you
0: gotta get my I,
1: I love the, for the completionists. it's great. It's like it will never open it yeah. anyways. It's going to sit in the plastic. So what difference does it make if I can't play it or not? But. I, I yeah. love the the analog element um, to it. So yeah, have you heard it? What were your?
0: I haven't heard it yet, actually. Um, yeah, I've been kind of busy the last couple of days, but I'm going to to give it a go. Charlie said he really liked it, so
2: I there actually went to listen. I meant to listen to it. I was gonna buy. I was actually gonna buy the seven inch, but I didn't care too much for the sleeve. I was like, mm, I might have to buy this.
1: Yeah, yeah. The artwork is a little a little lazy, if I'm being honest. I mean,
2: it's it's, just as a demo. It's kind of cool to use Prince's handwritten lyrics in it. I mean, it's kind of cool, but, I mean, nah, it's a hard pass for me. Yeah.
0: (gasps) Oh, speaking of music coming out, Ricky, you're a big Weekend guy. I've heard rumors bubbling around that there could be an MJ slash Weekend collaboration. Right. What are we thinking about
2: that? I... There, are a, there seem to be a lot of hints coming around saying that it's going to happen. Um, the weekend himself on his Apple Music radio show, he said that he has a collaboration coming from, with someone he admired as, mm-hmm. as a child. And I think right after that, he played mm-hmm. Billie Jean. Did he? Okay. Because I was listening live. Uh, so, that, so that seems to be the most direct hint. But um, he, um, he's also been recording at Westlake. Some of his producers have been posting Michael. They've also been posting other people, so that could be, you know, a hint that isn't there. But I mean, there seem to be a lot of hints, so I I can't. We can't say for sure, but it seems like it. But we'll see in the next few months. He says his album is done. He's just waiting for a few more things. Hmm.
0: And this would be right out of the Michael Jackson estate playbook. There is there are Michael Jackson collaborations with. uh, Remember the slave to the rhythm with Justin Bieber that leaked. Right. Then there's. The Drake collaboration and the Justin Timberlake collaboration—they seem to be all about dropping unreleased demo vocals into contemporary artists' works. So this would be right out of their playbook.
2: I agree. Um, there seems to be a general belief. Uh, there's no there's no evidence, but there seems to be a general belief that the song that he's working on is throwing your life away.
0: Hmm right there seems to be a general
2: belief that that's the song and I, it may to me out of the demo because if you if you think about it we've had a lot of bad era demos leak leak most recently and mm. you know as, as 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 you i think you said Jamie, and i think um throwing your life away is one of the most complete unreleased songs that we haven't you know got a chance to really hear yet so i feel like it does make a lot of sense
0: all right well um i i kind of do hope that See, it's hard. Like, I I actually think there's a lot of demos out there that uh, Michael worked on where there might be a chorus, sorry, a, a verse and maybe no chorus or just like little snippets of directions on where the song could go or sketches. And I do kind of feel like the a good place to use those are these little collaborations. But at the same time... Like, what was the Drake song called? I can't remember even what that was called now. Don't Matter To Me. That's it. So, that song there, obviously, Michael's vocals being, you know, auto-tuned to death, and I kind of want to hear the original in its just original state, and I can't decide whether is it better to use these snippets to get Michael out there to new audiences or is it better to hold these back and just save them for like anniversary box sets or whatever? What do you think?
2: Well, it, it's it's so hard, I'm about to say, because I mean, the Michael Jackson estate, you know, they pick and choose when they think demos are appropriate and remixes are, import, are appropriate. Mm. I mean, I say get it out there whichever way you can. You know, I, I wasn't a fan of the fact that, you know, like you said, they use a lot of autotune with Don't Matter to Me because... You know, almost everybody in the world was saying, He sounds like the weekend and I'm like, oh, my god. I thought for what it was, it was pretty awesome. But see I yeah, I felt the anticipation of Michael Jackson being featured on a huge album and and that got him that actually got him a lot of attention. So I mean I, I cannot argue with the results. The quality was pretty basic, if you ask me, a pretty basic, you know, modern age song. But I mean, I mean, the, yeah. the, the draw of it was the fact that it was Michael. So, you know, can't argue with that. Yeah, I, I, I would probably prefer just hearing them untouched because I'm, I'm very adamant about Michael's process. I feel, you know, mm-hmm. it's not right for people, at least if it's at the very least, if it's not people that worked with him on this song, they should not be touched. I feel like they should be left and yeah. we should just hear it the way he left them for the most part. So I, I would much prefer box sets, but I also, I do appreciate these collaborations too, because it it also serves another purpose of introducing Michael to newer audiences. And so that's something that he does ultimately need. And, you know, box sets are something that, you know, us, the hardcore fans will go for more. So, yeah, I, I can appreciate both.
0: Christina, do you want to give your final thoughts on that? And then we'll wrap up.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, agreed completely. Um, you know, I appreciate the collaborations and in, in keeping Michael in, in current music, but I always want the demos. And, you know, Michael's demos were better than a lot of finished product. You know, his a lot of the folks that he worked with always said that, that, you know, my, Michael didn't put out a demo that you would think of, you know, other artists where it's, you know, really raw and not very polished. So, um, of course, I want to hear it in the way that Michael intended it to sound.
2: Yeah. Let's say if you listen to those dangerous demos that were linked, like she mm-hmm. got it and worked that body. Like, mm-hmm. So good. So amazing. Like just raw mm-hmm. and authentic. You know, you really feel what Michael was feeling in it because he's still feeling his way through the song. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. And mm-hmm. it's amazing how yeah. just a demo of his can have such an effect on us.
0: Agreed. You guys are 100% on the mark. All right, we're going to wrap things up. People can find us at The MJ Cast on all the different social medias. We're on Facebook, we're on Twitter, we're on Instagram. As The MJ Cast, you can also subscribe to us as a podcast. That's how we're intended to be heard. Uh, You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Google Podcasts. Just search The MJ Cast. Uh, We are also on YouTube. Apologies, we're a little bit behind on getting our Uh, episodes up on youtube there's a few few still to upload um but i'll I'll try and get those up in the next week but definitely thank you uh to to ricky and christina thank you guys for coming on the mj cast it's always such a pleasure to talk to you both i can't wait to have you both back on the show again and listeners thank you for tuning in to listen to the mj cast and i hope you'll have a great fortnight ahead we look forward to releasing another episode at this stage. I think that our next episode is going to be a roundtable episode on the 30th anniversary concerts. It's a very interesting mix of people. Let me tell you, my my, uh, vision for this episode is to try and get people that were there watching the shows And um, (laughs) some people that love them and some people that are a little critical of them all in the one spot to talk about those concerts. And I can't wait. There's a lady that we're going to have on the show called Beth, who was the only person I've met who was at both shows, September 7th and 10th. So I can't wait to hear from her and all of our other guests. But yeah, look out for that one and have a great month ahead and look forward to the next episode of the MJ cast. Thank you and keep Michaeling.